Then the children of Israel, if you're not a student of the Bible, uh, they were God's chosen people, okay? The children of Israel, look what happened, did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them unto the land of Midian for seven years. I must stop to tell you, do you see anything already parallel to the United States of America? Do you see what it said? They did evil in the sight of the Lord. One day, it was in God they trusted. In one God, they were, in one day, there was a time when they revered the holy things. But that's not there now in Israel, okay? Now, let's move on to verse 2. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. The enemies came against God's own children, and they won. Because the Midianites, the children of Israel, made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. In other words, they ran. They got into caves. They hid themselves. They just disappeared. So it was whenever Israel had sown, the Midianites would come up. Also the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them, destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, and leave no substance for Israel. Everything they had, their commodities began to drop. Everything they owned that they produced began to be more and more worthless. Neither their sheep, nor their oxen, nor their donkeys. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number. And they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. If you underline your Bible, that's where the story begins to change. The people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet. Look, they cried out to the Lord and God immediately responds and starts sending them an answer. And things began to start moving in a different direction. Remember the scripture, call upon me while I may be found. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Remember those scriptures as I go on reading. And the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up out from Egypt. I brought you out of the house of bondage. I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of all who oppressed you. You won all your wars. You kept on doing great. I drove them out before you and I gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I'm the Lord, your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. He said, I've done everything I told you I'd do, but now you've decided you don't need me any longer. Now, if you look at the screen and the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite, who, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press. Now, Gideon's our main character, if, uh, if you're new to the Old Testament scriptures. Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. He was minimum wage kind of a guy. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And look at his answer, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then is all this happening to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord's forsaken us, delivered us to the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and you will save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? He says, Gideon, listen, I don't care what you've watched on the news last night. I don't know what you're hearing going on, but Gideon, if you will come to me and trust me, I will use you, Gideon, to turn your nation around. 
Would you be willing to do that? That's the whole point of this story. So he said to him, oh, my Lord, he said it a second time. How can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least at my father's house. And the Lord said to him, here's the answer. Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Whew, isn't it wonderful when you can get involved in something and if nobody else agrees you, with you and you agree with the Lord, you're going to win? And there's something about that. All right, anybody there this morning, you're right there. You say, I know God has spoken to me about that. I know it's his will. I know it'll honor him. And everybody tells me it isn't going to happen. But I'm believing it. I believe I am going to marry that person. I believe I am going to get that job. I am going to whip this illness Wow, that is a great feeling because when two get together, God and man, majority has been formed. So as you look at this and you see here's, now they've had seven years of nothing. I want to give you real quickly something that I hope that you'll remember. I know most people don't remember much of any sermons. Now this one really has seven points and I had to really hurry to get through them in the first hour and I'm going to have to hurry more in this one, I think. But, but try to keep up with me. I got to go real fast. Second Chronicles 16 and 9, I quote it to you all the time. The eyes of the Lord are going to and fro throughout the whole earth. That includes Houston. And if you're from Baytown, it includes Baytown, okay? And Glena Park and all the rest, all right? Why? To show himself strong to himself. I'm looking for an humble people that's willing to decrease so I can increase. And if I ever find that church, if I ever find that person then I got something really big planned for them to show myself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to me or to him. And this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you're going to have wars. That was the word in those days. America will not change for good until God's people change and start doing what God saved us to do. It isn't going to happen regardless of what happens in an election. Now, let me give you seven things. Number one, God is looking for people that have enough faith for God to reveal himself to them. Our church went through a time back in 1975 when God gave this church the faith to get out of a $660,000 debt if we would promise the Lord, and we promised the Lord we'd never borrow money again as long as his church existed. This church voted unanimously to do that, and the rest is, is history as to how God called a people together who started focusing on missions instead of interest and building payments and all of those things that can destroy a church from ever doing what God called it to do. And when we did what God asked us to do, God fulfilled the promise that I will supply your every need according to my riches and glory through Christ Jesus. God is looking for individuals, churches, cities, states, nations that will do that very thing today. God wants to do some things in these last days through somebody somewhere that's willing to let God come into their life. God is not looking for self-satisfied saints. He is not looking for people that think they've now reached the pinnacle where they are so good that they can just put down everybody that's bad. He's not looking for that. He is looking for people that are willing to forsake all to follow him. I received last week, I told our prayer group that'll meet in the morning at 11 o'clock here in the auditorium. 
about a, a young girl that was raised at Sagemont in one of our finest homes. But in her teenage years, she rebelled. I told you about this last week, I think. But I know I told our prayer group about it. And she's now living in Las Vegas. She called to say, I just want you and the Sagemont Church to know I've come home to the Lord. She married a man that's preaching the gospel in Las Vegas, Nevada. That was last week. Let me tell you what happened Friday night. I got an email from Florida. This young lady came through the church. Jason Ryan sent it over to me via email. And uh, I read it. She's in Florida. She, was, she left and got on the streets. Her life got so bad, she'd do anything it took just to survive week after week. But God lifted her up and put her in a homeless shelter. And she began to just have a complete commitment of her life to Jesus Christ and said, I'm going to take this and be an opportunity to tell the folks that are around me that desperately need help about the Lord Jesus Christ. And she now has a ministry, and I have the name of the spot in Florida and the, and the home she's staying in where some children have come in. She's been able to adopt a couple of children, and she's helping the homeless people there. And here's what she said, and here's what I'm doing, what she said. Would you thank the people of Sagemont for telling me about Jesus when I was there as a little girl. It's the only thing that's brought me through to the right now. That's what God wants to do with everybody. He's not waiting on you to be a success so he can use you. He wants you to just let go and let God. So my point number two is God looking for people that'll let him use them. Are you one of those? Are you an obscure person like Gideon? If so, God can, can use you. Now, point number three. You ready for this one? God's looking for people to let him evaluate you. <laughs> In other words, you're, you're not qualified to run for office right now uh, if you think you're qualified. What he says, let me tell you who you really are. Get, get somewhere where nobody can hear you. So if I have to speak up, and I'm going to whisper to you first. But if you don't hear it, I'm going to tell you real loud. And if you don't want your, hear to, uh, your friend to hear you, then you might want to get somewhere by yourself. You know, just get away, get in a quiet spot. Let God evaluate you. But you know what? He's going to evaluate you far higher than you can imagine. He's going to first of all say, look, I know that you felt this is your strength. That's not your strength. Here's your strength. And here's what I want you to do with it. If you let God evaluate you, you'll, you'll be, I think it was Ethel Waters that said, God don't make no junk. God doesn't make any junk. You are not worthless and useless and everybody else gets all the credit. No, you are one of a kind. And when you let God evaluate you, things get excited. You know, the devil can't see the difference between humility and ignorance. A lot of people in their humility are showing their ignorance. In other words, in your humility, you'll say, I'm worthless, I'm useless, I'm no good, nobody likes me, you know? No, no, uh-uh. That's not humility, that's ignorance. God made you. Don't you ever forget that. God made you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Don't forget that. Every day you can forget that if things aren't going like you think that they should or you see somebody else that you feel like God is blessing more than uh, than he is us. You're not worthless. You are extremely valuable, so valuable that God sent his son to die for you. We're living today in a spectator syndrome. We want people to see. We want people to admire uh, our, us or something that, that we've done. That's not what God wants. He said to Gideon, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. 
Boy, that didn't seem to describe the guy to me, but that's the way God saw him. And God sees you, and it's a very special person. He told Gideon, he said, Gideon, you're going to defeat the enemy as one man. Now listen to me very carefully. The enemy is one man, Satan. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the powers of darkness. The enemy is not multiple problems. People say, we got a lot of problems in America. I got a lot of problems in my life. No. The problem is Satan. Satan can beat up on me, but he can't beat up on God. God is stronger. He runs from God. And whenever you back up and say, I just can't handle this situation, God, I'm so tempted in this. I know it's going to break up my family. I know it's going to destroy my life. It may cost me my job. It may cost me my health, but I'm going to do this. I may have an emotional breakdown if I do it, but I'm going to do this. God says, look, the enemy is Satan. Deal with Satan and everything's going to come out fine. You see, whenever the Lord shows up, the devil leaves. You know, it was a great day in my life when I realized I didn't have to figure out what was going on in the world. It was a great day. I don't think God wants us to be creative to try to create things that are better than his things. I think that God wants us to simply be obedient. So let me give you the next point. God allows an honest investigation of any of us. God will stand a close-up test, but he will not accept in any way hesitating unbelief. In other words, why call me Lord, Lord, and do what I say? If God says, this is what you ought to do, this is the way you ought to do your marriage, your date life, your personal life, this is what you ought to do. If God says it, just do it. Just do it. But to to not believe his word, to not believe that the heavens declare the glory of God. Last week, they announced, uh, uh, I believe it's on uh, Wednesday night, that there was going to be the most beautiful meteor show uh, that, that, uh, you know, of the year. And, uh, and you could count on it. Well, I found out today that it happened. My problem was that where I was, it was cloudy. <laughs> and all I saw was the headlights bouncing off the clouds. But, uh, the point is that when God gets to us and shows us his power, we cannot argue with him. Speak, Lord, my, thy servant hears it. Our fleece, you know about Gideon's fleece. You know what we do? <laughs> we misuse this guy, bless his heart. He's going to jump on us when we get to heaven. You ever have something like this? Now, Lord, if, uh, if the next four lights are red, I know that you want me to do this. <laughs> you, have, you know, if I walk two blocks without stepping on a crack, I know you're trying to tell me something. Read the story about Gideon. Gideon made up his mind what he was going to do. Then he looked for the signs. We look for the signs before we decide what we're going to do. You got it backwards. Just do what he says. And he'll show you the signs along the way. He will show you when you walk in obedience. And then you'll be able to come back to your friends and say six months later, a year later, 
I tell you what, I was kind of scared when I did it. And I got saved, I got baptized. And, and man, I started reading the Bible and I didn't think, but I just got to tell you, six months later, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. Big, 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 big difference. Well, Gideon said, well, Lord, how am I going to do it? And the Lord said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. And he was. And so if you remember what happened was that, that the Lord impressed upon him that I got a plan. I just want you to follow me. And I'm glad when churches have long-range plans. But the best plan of the church better be we're committed to him. Wherever he leads, we're going to go. If he goes this way, we're going this way. If he goes this way, we're going to go this way. But there's three questions that pop up right now. One is, have you made a commitment to Christ? Number two, is God revealing himself to the world through you? Think about this. Think about it. Have you made your commitment to Christ? And is the world seeing Jesus? Because they know you, they're seeing something about Jesus. And then thirdly, do your friends talk about you or do they talk about your Jesus? He will not share the attention. He must increase and we must decrease. Well, Peter stepped out of a boat when he knew Jesus was there. He always felt better when he got close to Jesus. Whenever he got close to Jesus, he would try to cut the ear off of a soldier. Uh, well, he tried to cut his head off, what he did, but he missed and cut his ear off. But he had the courage. He could walk on water. If, he, if Jesus were there, I'll try to walk on water. And as long as he kept his eye on Jesus, he could walk on water. But he took his eyes off Jesus, down he went. That story hadn't changed until right now. But very quickly as I close, we've got to tear down some idols if we're going to have a real revival and a revelation in this country. We've got to tear them down. And there's plenty of them. Gideon's father had a pet bull. Probably won the Houston Fat Stock Show. No, they have steers there, don't they? But anyway, one night he just slipped out there and killed the bull because God told him to. And when sunrise came and they came out to see this bull that was so popular, he was gone, dead. Wasn't anything to worship. You got to tear down the idols. What's the most important in your life? It's not your financial statement. It's not your health. It's not your looks. It's not anything other than Jesus. You've got to tear down the important things in your life. And instead of worshiping these things of the world, you've got to turn away from those, tear them down, and then start worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. That is so important. If we don't get rid of our idols, and we have more in America than any country in the world, nobody would surpass America with the idols that we have. They are everywhere, and we worship them, and we worship them, and we worship them, and if we have a little time in our schedule, we find some more idols that we can worship. We want to see more of this, hear more of that, do more of this, and the Lord is saying you got to get rid of that stuff. You've got to worship me. Well, Joash, Gideon's dad, when he got up and the bull was gone, we got to commend him that he didn't go after his son. 
and try to destroy his son, he realized God was doing something in his son's life. I've spent my life seeing a lot of young people whose dads didn't walk with God turn to the Lord and the daddy tried to destroy that relationship. Thank God for Joash. Thank God for a parent that when, see, when they see their child following God, that they say, you know what? I'm going to encourage my child. Oh, I've talked to dads that, that their sons were called into ministry to preach. And they've said, but I've got other plans for him. I want him to take over the company. I want him to do this. I want him to do that. I don't want him to be a failure and be a preacher. I want him to make something of himself. Thank God he didn't have that kind of a family. Listen to you, mom and dad. If you see any sign in the life of your children that they're wanting to walk with God like these three showed us, encourage them. Go with them. Don't try to take them away from that in order to do what you want them to do. Go with them. And when it's over with, you'll say, thank you, Lord, that I did that one simple thing. I am honored that you would choose my daughter or my son to do that. When Mary had Jesus, something you wouldn't expect, the humble manger, all of that, but it's a constant denominator through the whole Bible. God wants to use the humble and the willing. And when the humble and the willing let him do something, good things happen. I want my children, my grandchildren to love God. It's more important that they do that than anything in their life. And I feel like I failed so many times. But God knows the heart of a dad that knows the Lord. And that is we want our children to grow up and be blessed more than we have ever experienced in our life. Well, as I close, number six, if you are in God's business, you got to do business God's way. You got to do it God's way. God's not looking for any fresh ideas. He's not looking for any creative ways to worship him. He's looking at people that will worship him. Any way he chooses for us to worship him. If it's in our sickness, if it's in our death, if it's in our financial failures, just as much as if it's in our successes, God is looking for people that will worship him and love him and praise him and serve him. And when he finds that people, we're going to see the rest of the story. You remember 32,000 people made an announcement. Boy, you can make an announcement. Everybody that wants to do such and such come. 32,000 showed up. Then he got up and said, now, if any of y'all want to go home, you can't come back tonight from stage mile five, just going home. 22,000 left. Man, you give, you give church-going people now, they take it. You know, now tonight, if you don't feel really good, just stay home. I'll stay home. You know, if you, can't watch on, if you can't come, watch on television when it rains. I'm going to stay home and watch on television because we have a forecast that it's going to rain, you know. All the time, we're looking for a way to get out. So he makes an announcement. 32,000 people, 22,000 go home. First announcement, first way out the door, I'm gone. I'm providentially hindered. I'm gone, 22,000. Then he takes them down to the water. One drinks like a dog. The other picks it up with their hand, and he ends up. From, the 20, from 22,000, has 10,000, and they divide up 9,700 against 300. And I can just see Gideon. 
Well, I tell you what, I was afraid of that second deal. You know, I lost him big. But thank God, only 300 left me this time. And then he says, Gideon, the 300 are yours. Excuse me? Lord, I handled that first one, but now this one's a little bit strong. And then you remember, they got the bombers, they got the, uh, the atom bomb, and then they got the nuclear bomb, and they came in with the tanks, and the, they put boots on the ground, and is that what they did? No. A candle, a pitcher, and a trumpet, and the voice of God. They blew the trumpet, crashed the, crashed the vases, the vases with the candle inside, and God had given a dream to the enemy that there were going to be thousands come down on them, and 300 people just stood up on the hill, breaking, breaking pottery, lighting, lighting a candle, breaking the pottery, and the people took off. Why? Because it was God's battle, not Gideon's. Folks, America doesn't have a problem. Rebelling believers and ungodly people have a problem. The problem is God must have preeminence. Sometimes we want to call a big army. God says, just humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and in due time I will exalt you. And so my closing point is when you do business God's way, the victory is going to be total. You remember what happened? They took off. The whole army, the Midianites, took off. And these 300 start, ch start chasing them. And they go by. Do you see a bunch of Midianites coming this way? You know? And uh, if they didn't answer, say, you stay right here because we're going to have to come back and get you now. If you don't get on our side, you know, we're going with this thing. We're going to follow the Lord. And you have got to stop. You've got to stop and turn from your wicked ways or you will die in your sin. We need revival in America. We need revival in the world. But when we do it God's way, we'll have total victory. So, question number one, what's God trying to do through you right now? And number two, will you let him do it? I've got two things in my mind right now that I, that I saw this morning since I've been here. It takes two people, about two hours for each of them, to do it. It would make a big difference around here. And um, I know that God's got a plan and a purpose for those, just like there's thousands of other things around here. So what are you doing? Where are you serving? You say, I'm not. Well, you'd smile more if you did. Because it's more blessed to serve than it is to receive the service.